Well, I, I do really want to continue um, the theme I felt, you know, from the Holy Spirit to continue this theme that we're looking at of multitudes and nations are our destiny. Okay? Our grand and bold statement. But sadly, it used to be 101, Christianity 101. Because we, we, when we were, some of us uh, who have been Christians long enough will remember that we had that vision. It was a standard vision with a lot of places, a lot of Christians, a lot of churches. That you believe God for the multitudes, you believe God for nations. Um, and you know, we, we would call it revival maybe. But a lot of, to a lot of people today, revival is just having better church meetings. Isn't it? Maybe get some of the old folks back, some of the old backsliders back, um, and having happy clappy times, and lying on the ground and getting a Holy Ghost tummy tickle. You know, uh, a little bit like we, we did back in Toronto. You know, and we don't grow, we don't, it doesn't change us. You know, I remember the Lord saying to me back then, back in the 90s, all, all the people, and the Lord said to me, you see the same folks are there every week. On the ground, shakamundo, rolling about. The Lord said, they're just looking for a Holy Ghost tummy tickle. He says, you notice when they get up, they don't change. And, and the Lord says, I'm trying to change them. I'm trying to touch them. I'm trying to get into the depths of their spirit. You know, but the same folks, I remember one woman, I'm not being unkind, but, you know, this woman would come every week. For prayer, end up on the floor, rolling around. And one week it would be, can you pray that my, my husband and I split up? Uh, because he's so mean to me and he doesn't love me and that the Lord will set me free. And then the next week it's, can you pray that my husband and I will get back together? <clears throat> so what changed? She changed. And unless we allow God to change us, amen. But again, that's another message. I don't want to go there. What I want to do is go back to that original vision that I think a lot of us received. That when we were first Christians, that the church's mission, remember that word mission? We talk about mission, don't we? Uh, we talk about mission as how it should be, which is the church's mission in the earth to reach the lost, to reach the unsaved and bring them into God's kingdom. And so we, we put a general word to that mission and evangelism, if you like, is the thing that we do to fulfill that mission. But, mission. but folks, let's be really honest. We, we've lost that mission vision. A lot of folks have. And now we're back to settling for what we have. As well as if we don't go any lower numbers, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. We can keep it going. You know, so-and-so tithes. This one gives generously. So we'll manage to pay the electric bills. Folks, we need to burst out of the containment that the evil one would put on us that we're happy to settle and get back to saying we won't be content until multitudes come through that door to know about Jesus, to hear about Jesus, to meet with him, get saved, and then become part of a church that is thriving and flourishing and that is multitudes-minded. And we need to... It doesn't start with the pastor. It doesn't start with some program in God TV. It starts in your heart and mine. 
Amen. Revival begins with you. Multitudes begin with you. We're going to see this. We've been looking at it, but the Lord just keeps speaking about this to me. So I want to show you a couple of things here that the Lord emphasized to me this week. Mark chapter 16. And you know, we had that militant theme in our singing. We normally like to come in and worship the Lord a little bit, but I just felt the Lord saying, no, sing these militant hymns of the faith. These grand standards of faith. Onward Christian soldiers. Not backward Christian soldiers, but onward. Stand up for Jesus. I love singing these old ones. And so that's why we did it this morning, because we need to be the church militant. We're going to see today how that ties in with multitudes and nations are our destiny. So we're going to look at two scriptures that are called the Great Commission. I remember, I think it was the very first night we had Arise Scotland. I remember Bert speaking about this. And he said to us, I think he said in the meeting, he said, the church has done a great job of fulfilling this commission here, Mark chapter 16 commission. But you know, it has done in the past, but I don't know so much about now. Okay, because we leave it up to a few guys now. Billy Graham died, that was it, evangelism had left the building for a lot of people. But there are still some guys around, that guy Nathan Morris and others, that are still evangelizing, being evangelists. But you know, the Bible says to every one of us, do the work of an evangelist. Amen? So we're going to find out today that the apostle, you know, I, I preach a lot about the fivefold ministry. Um, I lecture about it in Bible college. But you know, the more I come, the fivefold ministry tells us to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And you'll, you actually see that, you know, that we all should be evangelists. We all should be pastors and teachers and so on. So anyway, let's read this. And, and Bert says, the church has done a great job of doing Mark 16, but not so good at doing Matthew 28, which we'll look at, which is the disciple in the nations. But this one here, let's read it here. Um, verse 15, he said to them, Go on ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature, folks. Now, you know, we read that and we think, well, that's my duty to get out this building this morning and everybody I meet in the street, I've got to witness to them. And when I go to get my shopping in Asda later, or if you're posh, Waitrose or Sainsbury's, okay, and if you're really quite frugally minded, Lidl and Aldi, and when I go in there, I'm going to bump into folks and I need to give them a gospel tract and I need to tell them about Jesus. And that's how we interpret it. So it's no pressure then. Amen. But, you know, I, I've come to mature a little bit. I used to see it like that. Well, I'm not doing that. I'm not telling everybody I know about Jesus. Uh, you know, in that sort of a driven kind of way that if you, if you, you know, if you, you run past somebody at the bus stop, I should, I missed the opportunity to shout as I went by, Jesus saves. He's not talking about that. What he means is, and I, this is what I believe he's meaning. Be every creature minded. Don't let any, don't, don't allow in your thinking to miss anybody out. Preach the gospel to every creature. The ones that I don't preach to, you might preach to. Okay? The ones that you miss out, Margaret will cover them. You know, what he's saying is, we all need to, to be like a, a dragnet. Like a, like we're, we're trawling for fish. And 
What he's saying is, be every creature minded. Don't be content. Don't be satisfied with just reaching 97% of folks. Having your strategy. Anybody remember way back, I think it was maybe the 90s, late 80s, 90s, somewhere around then, Reinhard Bonnke did this every home thing. That every, every home had to get a tract. Yeah, remember that? And he had this vision that every household in Britain or every letterbox in Britain would have to get a track. Now, I, I know I didn't get one. So I know he didn't hit that goal. But folks, what an, an admirable, commendable, glorious vision to at least say we're going to try it. Amen? And he maybe not, never got to every letterbox, but folks, he got to millions. And the Lord be praised for I'm sure many people gave their hearts to the Lord. Uh, because of that. So every creature should be in our thinking. And then let's flip back to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. This is just by way of introduction to this. Uh, I'm hoping today to put action to these things. Um, not just stand and preach for a long time, but that we, we can look at what we've got to look at and then do a bit of acting on it. So Matthew 28, the Matthew 28 Commission, verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. There's the second phrase the Holy Spirit quickened to me this week. All nations. Every creature. That's the individual commission. And that's what Bert said, and he's so right. We've been good at doing that, certainly historically, and maybe not so much now. Because we, we, we get lazy, because, well, they can, people can read about Jesus. God TV says they reach everybody uh, within a such so, you know, massive footprint, they reach millions. Folks, no disrespect to God TV or any other Christian TV channel. No, they don't. And if anybody tells you, oh, Christian TV's got it all covered, they, they're reaching the whole of Britain and Europe and so on. No, they're not. And I'll tell you why they're not. They are broadcasting... But broadcasting isn't reaching. I'm broadcasting the word of God right now, but I'm not reaching the folks in those houses over there. And let me tell you as well who's, who's, who's broadcasting. Uh, Muslim TV and pornographic channels. And folks, they're broadcasting into my house and into your house, but they're not reaching me. Why? Because I don't tune in. So you're only reaching who's tuning in. And you get lazy on this and you get, oh, well, you know, we stuck up a satellite and we're reaching millions, man. You're only reaching the small band that tune in. Okay? So there has to be a wee bit more than just, and it's great. I'm all for Christian TV, Christian radio, internet. But I think we get this idea now, oh, the gospel's going out all the time. I don't need to do anything. I can go to B&Q rather than go down to the garden. Or rather than go to church. Or rather than, you know. Folks, every creature and all nations. Two different commissions. Because Jesus is telling us here, God, the Holy Spirit is telling us here by his word. Multitudes and nations. Multitudes is every creature. That's the individual. That's gospel rallies. That's evangelistic crusades. That's letterbox campaigning, that's standing in the street like some of my Bible students will be doing right now, I think. Um, and, and God bless them and we've all been there. And you know, 
the Lawson's, that, 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 they did that years. Tents, tent crusades, amen. We've got the DNA here. And this place here. Pumping out the gospel. You know, I've been doing a lot of studying uh, this week about the history of this place. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you this wee story. I'm, I'm going to digress, okay? We've got a picture out there in the hall. A woman called Mary Ann Clough. Don't think she's any relation to Brian, guys. Okay? But Mary Ann Clough, it's, it's something, go and look at it. The pioneer of the Foundry Boys work. Now, you know, that's a long time ago. And the, some of the kids look at the picture. It's a bit scary, Victorian, stern woman. And we, we spoke about this and we thought, you know, we honour the history here, don't we? Um, and so we thought, but we'll put it somewhere that it's, you know, we'll get something fresh up there, something modern, and put you know, old Mary Ann somewhere that honours her, but that put folk don't turn around and look at her when they come in and go, oh my goodness, who's that? Because she's quite a stern, formidable woman. And I was reading this week about Mary Ann Clough. And her picture is not moving. What a woman. What a mighty, mighty woman of God who saw the need in this area. And we can maybe talk another time about the guy that she worked for was a guy called Jacob. Uh, oh damn it. Jacob. I keep forgetting this guy's name. Jacob Wakefield McGill. Jacob Wakefield McGill. We'd like to have a name like that, yeah? <laughs> Amen? Jacob Wakefield McGill. Not just, you know, Joe Smith. It's Jacob Wakefield McGill. <clears throat> what a man. And Jacob Wakefield McGill um, founded and launched loads of works in Glasgow to reach the poor, to reach the mill girls, and, but they were reaching all these folks, loads of them. And Mary Ann Clough worked in the Grove Street mission. She said to him, what about these wee boys that work in the foundry? Up in this area. And they were, they were devils. They were really bad wee boys. Um, Sour-mouthed, cursing all the time, up to no good gangsters. Not just gangsters in the making, but you know, they, were, they were already gangsters and they're just wee boys. And she, she started the work, and what a glorious work it was. I mean, these are fearful wee boys. You wouldn't have, you know, feral almost. And she started the work here, and got loads of them saved, and they all became known as Mary Ann's boys, and the Foundry boys, of course, was what it was called. And, you know, and, and, and it ended up thousands of them, thousands, and girls and boys from places... At its peak, this ministry had close to 20,000 children going to various branches. 20, that's a mega church, folks. That'd be a mega church in America. That'd be a mega church, you know, Hillsong. That's, 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 a, that's a country church, isn't it, compared to? Because let me tell you, the Foundry Boys was only one part of the whole thing that they were all involved in. And there was loads of other children's missions in Glasgow too. Now, that DNA is here. That's, that genetic code is here. So 
The Holy Spirit is saying to us to have this vision, every creature, all nations, discipline, the individuals, multitudes, every creature is multitudes, isn't it? And nations is all nations, teaching them to observe, teaching them all things whatsoever uh, I have commanded you. So I want us to look at that. So that's by intro. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 9. I'd love to talk about some of the stuff I dug up about the people who founded this place. You know, it's it's electrifying. Because you you think to yourself, well, that's a long time ago. You know, we'll never see those days again, folks. They had those days because that was the seed in the ground of what we're going to see in our day. Amen? Amen. And if you, if, you, if you could bring a couple of these guys back and talk to them, they'd say, listen, don't look at what we did. What we did is the seed. But you guys ought to be walking in the harvest. Amen? And I, and I believe that's what the Holy Spirit is saying. Is, and if this is just one church, this is just one ministry. And we've all been part of, or we are part of churches and ministries that have got great histories, or, but I would say whatever histories they've got, they've got better futures. So Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and, and I just again, let's continue this theme of multitudes. Verse 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, uh, and preaching the Gospel of the kingdom. First of all, I want you to note, Jesus didn't care where he preached. Jesus went where the people are. Now, you know, the synagogues, you got a rough time in some of those synagogues, didn't you? But you know, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll preach to anybody. Because it's every creature. And some of those creatures are in pubs. And some of those creatures are in Masonic lodges. Or other places where they shouldn't be. Does that make sense? They're not sitting in a Holy Ghost charismatic, you know, holiness church. Some of them are out there and, and they're places they shouldn't be. Now I remember uh, hearing Arthur Blessed talking about getting into strip joints. Uh, and preaching to get girls with no clothes on. You know you need to be a sanctified man to do that. Amen. Now I'm not going to be doing that because I don't think I'd be allowed to do that. And uh, but you understand, we go where the people are. So Jesus went and preached in the synagogues because that's where the people were. And you know those synagogues weren't Holy Ghost filled charismatic churches. They were full of religion and Pharisees and all the people. You know, Doctor Drydust and Sister Nasal here. The folks that you and I would want to have church with. Jesus went there and preached. Because they're the folks that need to be. Today, you know, if you want to start a church, you can't say, Lord, just send me the middle class folks with two cars, 2.3 kids, mortgage, you know, paying their mortgage, no debt, all the good guys, okay, uh, and they've all been married all their life. And no, folks, it's single mothers, isn't it? With multiple fathers. Amen. And a whole bunch of crazy people, drug addicts, you name it. Because that's who the people are, and that's where the people are. That's the realm, that's the society that we live in. So if we want harvest, we have to understand that's what's, who's going to come in. 
And we better be ready for that because if you were only welcoming in the respectable people, there's very few of them. So it won't be a big harvest. Amen. So we need, anyway, okay. It says here, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, what I want you to see is this, right? But when he saw the multitudes, now, the multitudes, what, what does that mean? Because does that mean the people in the synagogues or the folks that weren't going to the synagogue? I don't know. But when he saw them, when he saw the multitudes, when he saw the crowds, when he went into the Socky Hall Street or the Buchanan Street, wherever it was, and he saw the crowds, what does it say? He was moved with compassion on them. <coughs> Here's the thing. Multitudes move the heart of Jesus. You, you know, we talk about Jesus' love. Jesus' love is very wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I, Jesus loves me this I know. We love. We've all been touched by Jesus' love. Amen. But I'm going to say something to you. There's something about a multitude that releases, that triggers the compassion of God. The heart of God, the love of Jesus. There's something about a multitude. And you know, when you've been in big crowds, convincing crowds, yeah? Big meetings. And there's a, there's a different atmosphere. Why? I believe one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons, maybe the major reason is, the compassion is released. Mm -hmm. Amen? In other words, that you feel it, it's wrapped up, or amped up. There's an, uh, there's an electricity in the air at these big meetings. I remember years ago, I used to love going to these apostolic conventions, you know, and doing all the dancing and everything. But there's something about a big crowd. And one of it, the main things is this. The compassion of God is drawn to a big crowd. Amen. To the sea of humanity. And you know, what I believe the Lord's saying to us today is, follow my heart. Because when I look out over the multitudes, over the nation, and bear in mind, was it nine billion or something there is on the earth now, something like that? There's a lot of folk. And we talk about the great end time revival. And we don't really maybe necessarily connect that there's far more people in the earth than ever before at one time. And the great end time revival, is it because God looks, there's more folk than ever, so there's the compassion. It triggers that compassion. Amen? But you know, that compassion won't go anywhere. Won't do anything unless you and I feel it in our hearts. Does that make sense? Because he wants us to feel his heart, to action what he's feeling Amen. towards those folks. Because he's not going to send angels to preach. He's not going to thunder from heaven. He's not going to go uh, and print. The printing press in heaven isn't going to drop flyers, tracts on folks. You and I have to do it. Because we're commissioned. And that's why this whole thing, today, this militant theme, because we talk about these, uh, Matthews 28, Mark chapter 16, the Great Commission. Commission implies military service, doesn't it? Uh, 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 you get commissioned officers. 
and non-commissioned officers. Well, non-commissioned officers still have a commission, but commissioned officers, they're specially commissioned. You and I are not non-commissioned Christians. Every Christian is commissioned. And a commission means a military, uh, a, a military function and capacity, concept. Uh, David came up the stairs this morning and says to me, why did you shout out concept? I'm thinking, what's he talking about? But I was thinking, thinking concept. There's a military concept to this. The Great Commission means that we're called like a mighty army. Moves the church of God. Soldiers of the cross. We've been singing about it. Now that doesn't mean to say we're, oh, we're, we're going to war against Satan. Satan's defeated, folks. Okay? We're the peacekeeping forces. We're just enforcing the victory. We're not there to get the victory. Jesus got the victory. But we're the army of occupation. But you know what? We've, we've stayed in the fort. Amen? And, and let the, the savages run loose in the nation. It's time to... It's time to bin, get all your hymn books out and a black marker pen and get rid of that hymn. Hold the fort for I am coming. Amen. We're not holding the fort. We don't need a fort. It's the enemy that needs a fort. The gates of hell will not prevail. Okay. The gates of hell are his defenses. Okay. So that implies we're going forward and onward and upward. Amen. <laughs> but folks, multitudes move his heart. I'm going, to, I'm going to shock you right now. If you believe what Jesus says, because we read, we've read this hundreds of times, heard it preached, not as good as this. <laughs> amen. But, Pride. amen. Pride cometh before destruction. <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm just being humbled because I'm telling the truth. <laughs> you know, you speak the truth and be humble about it. Okay, he says this, look, he says, uh, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. And that means that the, the multitudes, we talk about mob rule, okay, we talk about the, the power of a mob, the power of a crowd, and there is that dy 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 dynamic to it. But what he's talking about here is he sees people as they really are. He sees their heart. Now, you and I might have walked about a lot of bluster and bravado when we were unsaved, and you know, I'm a big man, and I, I don't need anybody. Yeah? But inside. Amen? Inside. We were weak because we knew our own, uh, we knew that it was all front, it was all bravado. They fainted. They didn't have any strength. See, folks out there don't know what's going on. Listen, it's a hard time for even spirit-filled people listening to the Lord to know a lot of time. We've talked about that before the service. What's going on out there? And a lot of times... But it's guesswork with us, it's speculation. We know that something bad's going on and we know that bad people are doing it. But we don't always know the what's really going on. 
But folks out there that don't know anything about this, their hearts are, are failing them. Men's hearts are failing because of fear. Am I going to have my job next week? Am I going to be able to pay the mortgage and all my bills at the end of this month? Am I going to be able to keep my car on the road? What about all these people that are skipping meals so that their children can eat? Amen. What about all these people that we've been speaking about before the service that are going, that need healing, that need, and, and the NHS is failing them. The system is failing them. I need to see a doctor, or we'll, we'll make, let you speak to some clerical worker because the doctors are too busy to speak to you. They fainted. They were weak. They didn't have what it takes to face tomorrow. We can say, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. But they, some of them don't even know he ever lived. Or they, they think it's a myth, or whatever. But you understand, they fainted. He had compassion upon them because they didn't have what it took to live life successfully and to be fulfilled. And they were oppressed by wicked governments, oppressed by economic bondage, oppressed by sickness and disease, oppressed by injustice. Oh, we could go on. They fainted and were scattered abroad. And what's this? Easily scattered. Not belonging to anything or anybody. Okay, they don't have a family. And by that, I mean they don't have a church family. Yeah? A lot of folks out there are lonely. They don't have any real friends. Some of them don't have any friends. So they're, they're sheep that are easily scattered. Sh scattered sheep are normally sheep that are on their own. Aren't they? Lost somewhere. Somewhere that's a little bit intimidating and frightening. Away from the shepherd, away from the other sheep. Amen? Isolated. You know, we were all told to get into isolation, weren't we? That's no, that's no coincidence, folks. Why? Because isolated sheep don't have community. Isolated people don't have the strength of others, the communion, the koinonia of others to feed off. They don't have the sustenance because they're isolated. And then look at this. Scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Sheep having no shepherd. Now, what you need to understand here, and again, because we understand English, and because a lot of our thinking has been churchianity based, we think here as sheep having no shepherd as, as like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, like, ah, 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 sheep. And there's no shepherd. Okay? He's not talking about sheep, folks. He's talking about people. Yeah. Amen? We are his sheep. Amen. Okay? And, and let me just say this. He's not even, he's not talking about himself. Oh, he's the great shepherd. Yes, of course he is. But he's not talking about being the great shepherd here. He's not talking about 
Sheep have no shepherd. He's talking about people have no shepherd. And you know what that word shepherd means in the Greek? Pastor. Same word translated pastor is the same word translated shepherd because pastors are shepherds. Oh yes, everybody, every Christian needs a pastor. Uh, or every, every person needs to go to church and have a minister or a pastor over them. That's, that's not what he's talking about either, really. Because he's not talking about, oh, they all need to come into your church and you be the pastor. He's not saying this to pastors, as in ministers, reverend so-and-so, and pastor so-and-so, and bishop. He's not saying it for the benefit of the church, as in, uh, you know, your local church. It would be great to say, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor here, folks, and you come. We, we welcome folks. But here's, what he's, here's who he's talking to here. You. Okay? He's not saying you need to get out there and introduce folks to your pastor. Okay? And get them into church. That's a great idea. It's part of the answer to the problem. But look at the problem. And then he, he, identifies, it, he identifies it further. He says, Then said he, the verse 37, Unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. See, the problem is, ah, the harvest is so small these days. No, the harvest is plenteous. These words have never changed in 2,000 years. Okay, if Jesus says the harvest is plenteous 2,000 years ago, he didn't commission an update to say, but in Bibles from 2015 onwards, say the harvest is small now. I changed my mind. Uh, you know, or things have changed, things have developed. Folks, how many people were on the planet 2,000 years ago? How many are on it now? Amen? Is it 9 billion? Something like that? Yeah, yeah. 8, 9 billion. Every day that goes by, there's more people than us. So the harvest is growing. So it'll always be plenteous. The harvest truly is plenteous. So that's not the problem. Oh, well, you know, we've got everybody saved that's ever going to be saved. You ain't reading the Bible, friend. The problem is the laborers are few. Here's the problem. He's saying there's sheep without pastors. Pastors, sorry. Sheep without pastors. That's one of the problems. The other problem is it's not a small harvest. The problem is is that there aren't enough people with the intention to harvest. Mm -hmm. See, you have to get up in the morning with an intention to harvest. And I don't mean go down to your and start telling everybody about Jesus, unless the Lord tells you to do that. Because it's not just about that, it's about having this mindset. See, the Bible speaks about strongholds, and strongholds are mental mindsets that hold us back, but you can have a Holy Ghost stronghold in your mind. Every morning you get up and you say, well, you know what? It's harvest time. More people were born when I was sleeping. So the harvest is growing. The problem is not a small harvest. The problem is there aren't enough pastors. 
There aren't enough labourers. There aren't enough people who say, folks out there need a shower. See, you, whatever street you live in, you're the pastor in that street. Amen. Amen. You're the pastor. The folks on your street are your sheep. They're your flock. Now, you're not going to go slam, uh, knock on every door and hand over a Bible and say, you know, I'm coming in to preach to you. Uh, you don't even maybe necessarily say, I'm having a Bible study and you're all invited. You know, but the Lord may lead you along those lines. But what I'm saying to you is, you have a responsibility to pray, don't you? To intercede. And as much as it's possible to share, you know, within the bounds of, you know, because let's be honest, we're not there to Bible thump people, are we? Uh, it's all about uh, getting favour. You know, you might spend six months just speaking favour with your neighbours so that there's a pathway made that you can share with them or that they come to you. And you, you know, it might happen tonight. It might take six months. It might take 18 months, whatever. But when you, you say, Lord, you've put me in this street so that, because see, we're here. I'm the pastor of this church here that meets on a Sunday. So I have a responsibility to pastor the folks around about here from a ministry point of view, yeah? Even if they never set foot in the place. Now, the extent that I take that seriously, it's the same with you. You're pastor where you live. Okay? And you say, well, there's other Christians in my street. Well, that's great. That street's blessed with more than one pastor. Amen? What, what a blessed street that is. But you understand what I'm saying is, Pastoring means taking responsibility because hirelings say, oh, the wolf might come tonight at my way home to my wee cozy croft and leave the sheep. Amen? Because I don't want to face wolves and bears and lions <coughs> or, or sheep stealers. I might get hurt. So I'm away home and the sheep can fend for themselves. But, but shepherds don't, good shepherds don't do that. Good pastors don't do that. So pastoring is about taking responsibility and saying, well, if I've got to lay down my life, and you can say, I'm going to lay down my life in serving the people I pastor. You might never have the title pastor. You might never be reverend so-and-so, but you're still a pastor because Jesus says, there's the problem right now. There's not enough pastors. The sheep are scattered because there's no, there's no shepherd. And he says, you need, and look what he says here, let's finish this. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. First, firstly, note this, the Lord of the harvest is, is God, the Lord. He's the Lord of the harvest. It's not left up to chance. You're not the Lord of the harvest, he is. Which means you have to pray to him, Lord, we need more laborers here. We're needing more pastors. And that, that doesn't mean people who've got a Bible uh, uh, college degree or a doctor of divinity. He's, talk, he's talking to every Christian and saying, you get up in the morning, you go to church, you, go, you do what you do, but do you have harvest on your mind? Do we have the intention to harvest? In other words, I'm productive because whatever I do, whatever I go, I have in my mind, God wants a harvest. Amen. So even if it's 10 minutes a day, 5 minutes a day, 5 hours a day, whatever it is, 
I will spend time in God's presence with that intention and pray that the folks get, that, that get saved. Pray that folks get saved. Pray that people come into the kingdom. Pray that the church I attend is full of hungry seekers. Intercede for the lost. What did Paul say to Timothy? Pray for all men. Every creature, all nations, all men. He said, don't leave anybody out. You know, you say, well, is it just my street? Well, it might be more than your street. It might be with, the Lord might do this to you. He may say, well, you can pray for your street. And then after I'll, I'll pray for the street surrounding. The Lord might even put a wee circle around and say, a mile radius, two miles, three miles. Why? Because as you grow in this, the Lord might give you more folks to shepherd in prayer. Does that make sense? We take responsibility. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray for Glasgow, you can't pray for Scotland, because we're all functioning on that level, aren't we? Uh, of different levels. But you can say, you know what? Yeah, I'm responsible to pray for Scotland, for Britain. Uh, but, you know, I'm taking special responsibility for the, for the wee state I live in. Does that make sense? Every home, every person, Lord, I speak it upon, I speak salvation on them. And say, what good will that do? Well, folks, it'll do a power of good in the spirit. Because your words are the game changer. Your lips are the vehicle. Jesus said, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, as, as in heaven, you, you can say, Lord, your will, let your kingdom come to this house and state I love. Let your will be done in every home here. You know, we start off there. Then God will give you opportunities. Amen? But we're all pastors then. We're all evangelists then. We're all sent ones, apostles then, aren't we? We're a prophetic people, so we're all prophets. We're all teachers. That's not to say that we all walk in that fivefold ministry office or what function, but we function in it um, because as he is, so are we in this world. We function in it to the extent that God gives us grace to function in. But you know, he's not going to force it on you. Multitudes and nations are not something God will force on you. You have to say, I've been listening and I received that responsibility. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be part of that because you want multitudes saved in this land, listen, I, I went over what I've intended to spend time-wise, but I'll just very quickly close with this. Um, send forth labourers, send forth pastors, send forth shepherds. Luke chapter 14. I've got it written down, so I'm just going to do it uh, very quickly. Luke chapter 14. And um, read this. This is just rattle through. When one of them sat meet with him, heard these things, he said unto him, Bless is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. This is verse 15, Luke 14. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuses. The first said unto him, I bought, thee a, piece of, I bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and seat it. I pray... Thee have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. 
And others said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Well, maybe she wouldn't learn. Amen. Um, so that servant came, showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, that's of course the Lord, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind and the people you wouldn't invite to church. Amen. Because you want those middle class families with their, uh, you know, brand new cars and their respectable children and all that. They don't exist anymore, do they? The cars may, but the children certainly don't. Anyway, the servant said, Lord, it's done as you've commanded. And yet there is room. Watch this. Watch this. The Lord said unto his servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Amen. Compel is a strong word. But watch this. That my house may be filled. I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm going to say this by the Holy Ghost. I don't care what size of church you have. Okay? If every seat is not filled and there's standing room only and there's people standing, God is not yet satisfied. Amen. He's not. And that's not just individual churches. That's the church. Okay? If you're content to sit in a vast cathedral that can seat 2,000, you've got 100 and you're happy because they're all happy tithers and all of those are paid, so you don't need more. We don't need more people. We're focusing on discipleship and depth. We want to go deeper. No. God wants 1,900 more folks in your church, folks. It's that simple. Why? Because he wants his house filled. He wants harvest. And I hear it all the time. I hear it even from good folks. It's not about numbers. It's not about growth. Not growth of, of, of the congregation. It's about growing spiritually. Well, why is it an either or? Why not do all that growing spiritually and becoming, you know, super spiritual, but at the same time, put the bums on the seats? And I don't mean bums as in people who are bums. I mean backsides, derriers. Yeah? Folks, God has increase on his mind. He was never, you know, Moses came to the children of Israel and says, look at what God has done. Look at what the Lord has done. Now I say that to the mother every day. Look at what the Lord has done. <laughs> but he says, look what the Lord's done. He's multiplied you. He's multiplied you so that you're a great, vast number. Look at you. He's multiplied you in Goshen while you were slaves. He's multiplied you. And then he says, well, that's it, folks. We've reached the target figure. No, he says, the Lord make you a thousand times more. God's never satisfied. God is never satisfied. Okay? I think I've got permission to say that where we're satisfied, I mean. Well, you know, that's it. We've reached our target figure. No. Uh, you know, Lord, I said I wanted to give a million pounds away to the, to the work of the ministry. So I've done that now. Thank you, Jesus. That's me. No more. No, the Lord says, no, I want to give you more money because you're a giver. So your next target is 10 million. Then after that, 100 million. God is always pushing. I press toward the mark. God wants pressers and pushers. 
Amen. And God wants you to go boldly into his throne and bring us to close. <coughs> I knew I wasn't going to get away with preaching half an hour today. God wants folks that will go before his throne and say, Lord, it's not enough. I'm not satisfied, Lord. There needs to be more. There needs to be more bodies. There needs to be more whatever. Amen. And I need to walk in more. God likes rude, pushy people when it's done by faith. Amen. He loves that type of confidence and arrogance even. There's, there's an arrogance that is sanctified. Amen. Not enough, Lord. Amen. The church is packed. Well, we just need to build a bigger one. The church is packed. Well, we'll just need to have another service. The church is packed. Well, let's open a new uh, building two miles away. We can never be satisfied until his house is filled. Because he isn't. That's what that passage tells me. Go get more. Ah, but they've all, we've reached it, Lord. There's plenty. Go and get more. Because you, you said it yourself. There's still room. Amen? Amen? We're talking here about the great end time harvest, folks. Isaiah chapter 60. We didn't get a chance to get in there today. Um, which is unusual for us. But anyway... That's it. And I just want to encourage you. And then in the little time we've got left, let's, let's pray the Lord of the harvest. I'm going to pray for every one of you to be laborers in that harvest. I'm not saying that you've not already done that. That's not what I mean. But, but let's recommission ourselves. Sometimes it's good to revisit the commission, isn't it? And say, Lord, I received this a long time ago. But today I renew my dedication that I'm going to have the intention to harvest. Amen. I don't know how that's going to look for me personally. You might be scared to speak to people. You might be scared to stand behind a pulpit. Well, that might not be what God's calling you to do. But we all have a part to play, don't we? You know, you don't get in the garage and everybody's a car salesman. There are mechanics, there are receptionists, there are administrators, you understand? We all have a part to play in this enterprise. But if you're not playing your part, if you're not saying, I'm a labourer in the harvest field, because it's easy to be a churchgoer, it's easy to be a Christian, it's easy to, 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 be, to attend meetings, but unless you're a labourer in the harvest, the, the problem, if you're not, is that there are sheep out there that need a shepherd. And we're all called, I believe, in some way to be a shepherd. To be a pastor. A pastor is someone who takes responsibility for the sheep. Amen. Some pastors never go out into the, the hills. They stay in the farm. Because the sheep are in the farm. Amen. I'm just trying to say there's a variety of ways of serving. But anyway, praise the Lord for that. Amen.